Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. You know, right now in the United States, we are just a couple of days away from Election Day. So at Melbourne Heights, we are working through a series of sermons called The Red and the Blue, where we're talking about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus in the face of the partisan political divide in our country right now. And in today's episode, we're going to spend time talking about who our real king is, and that's Jesus. And what it means for us to be a citizen, a part of his kingdom. And we're going to see that the kingdom of God is a whole lot different than the kingdoms of this world. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a series of sermons that we're calling the red and the blue. Now, I know that here in Kentucky, when you hear someone mention the red and the blue, that you might think about the rivalry between the Louisville Cardinals and the Kentucky Wildcats. But in the rest of our country, especially when November rolls around, there is no doubt that when someone talks about the red and the blue, they are talking about politics. And that's what we're talking about at Melbourne Heights right now. We are talking about politics. But before you get tempted to shut down your web browser, to just keep scrolling on your social media feed, let me explain to you what I mean when I say that we're talking about politics at our church right now. When I say that we're talking about politics, I don't mean that we're going to try to tell you who you should vote for or who you should vote against in the upcoming election. And I don't mean that we're going to try to tell you that one of our political parties is right and that the other party is wrong. And I don't mean that we're going to try to convince you that Jesus would support one party and their platform over the other. When I say that our church is talking about politics, I mean that we're talking about how we, as followers of Jesus, can live out our faith in the face of the partisan political divide in our nation right now. Because let's just be honest here. Every single one of us knows what politics looks like in America right now. And at its most simplistic level in America, we know that we have two major political parties. You have the Democrats, who are the blue, and then you have the Republicans, who are the red. And both of these parties are competing to hold various political offices all across our country right now. These offices can range from local positions like being a mayor or a member of a city council, but they can also be national offices like serving as a member of our House of Representatives or the Senate or even trying to become the next president of the United States. But all of these offices that compose our political system here in the United States today Well, they're actually relatively new in world history. You see, you didn't have small-town mayors or city council members or representatives or even a president until our democracy was born almost 250 years ago. And then when you realize that the last book that makes up our Bible was written and completed roughly 1,900 years ago, then it isn't surprising that you don't find any mentions about the hallmarks of our American political system and our democracy in our Bible. But that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't talk about political issues. We talked about this last week, but at its core, politics is about the way that people relate to and take care of each other in a society. So as long as there have been societies, there's been politics. But in the Bible, instead of reading about presidents, what you're going to find are stories about kings. And instead of reading about mayors, you're going to find stories about governors. And instead of reading about nations, what you find are stories about kingdoms. 
So that's how we're going to frame our conversation today. So I want to start out today by asking you, what images come to your mind when you hear the word kingdom? Do you envision portraits of a long-standing royal family adorned with crowns and tiaras hanging in the dusty halls of some long-forgotten castle? Or do you picture a sprawling political empire that covers the hills and the valleys of some far-off land? Do you imagine an iron-fisted king ruling over an entire nation behind the hilt of his sword? Or do images of royal throne rooms and lush banquet halls and posh wardrobes and ancient castles dance through your head when you think of kingdoms? Well, the truth is that the ideas and images that pop into our heads when we hear the word kingdom, they're often ripped straight from the pages of some Arthurian novel, drawing vivid details of Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. But these images... These images of kings and queens and knights and wizards and castles and peasants that we picture when we think of kingdoms, well, they are nothing like the political system that we live in in America today. So we need to understand the differences between the kingdoms that we imagine and the kingdom we actually find ourselves living in in America right now. And the kingdoms of the Middle Ages, they have been replaced by the political system that we live under today. So we no longer look to kings or queens to run our nations. Instead, we turn to our representatives, our senators, and our president. The round table where King Arthur and Sir Lancelot and other knights once gathered, it's been replaced by congressional chambers and the offices that our effect, uh, elected officials work out of. The sword and the shield of yesteryear? Well, it's merely a relic of how our world once was these days. Because now... Our battles are fought with far more destructive weapons that can wipe out entire cities in an instant. So, so the romanticized kingdom of Camelot, it's given way to the reality of Washington, D.C. And if we know anything about Washington, D.C., we know it's not an ideal place. I mean, let's just take a minute right now to think about some of the stuff that has happened in Washington, D.C. over the course of the last year. And I think that just by looking at a few things that have happened there, it's going to tell us everything that we need to know about the kingdom that we are living in in our world today. So in the last year in Washington, D.C., we saw a president impeached for just the third time in American history. And with the exception of just one senator, the entire impeachment process played out along strictly partisan political lines. And not long after the impeachment proceedings came to an end, that's when the coronavirus outbreak began. And you know what? At first, at first it looked like we might be able to set aside the relatively small things that divide us politically in order to focus on things that would serve the common good of all Americans. I mean, it just took a matter of days for Congress to approve a massive spending bill that expanded unemployment benefits and put an extra $1,200 in most people's pockets to help, help us make it through those uncertain economic times. But it also wasn't long before the partisan divide resurfaced. So we spent the entire summer listening to politicians bicker back and forth and back and forth, blaming everyone under the sun for the continued spread of this virus. And this doesn't even begin to touch on the racial unrest that our country has been experiencing since the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And it also doesn't talk about what's been happening in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of weeks since Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away and her death created a vacancy on the Supreme Court. But like it or not, 
This is what it's like to live in the kingdom of America today. And too often it feels like the kingdom we're living in is a kingdom that is built upon accumulating power and wealth. Too often it feels like the kingdom that we're living in is a kingdom that is built upon privilege and pedigree. Too often it feels like the kingdom that we're living in today is a kingdom that is built upon our need to protect all that we have gained from those that we have taken it from. But as we come together today, gathering as a church to worship, I can't help but hear the words that Jesus spoke time and time again throughout his time on this earth when he said, the kingdom of God is like. But what is the kingdom of God like? Is it like the kingdom of America that we live in today? Is it a kingdom that's dominated by selfishness and our overwhelming desire to look out for number one? Is it a kingdom where the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer? Is it a kingdom where the few who hold power could care less about those without any power? Here's the truth. I don't think the kingdom of God is much like the kingdom of America that we live in today. And believe it or not, our scripture reading for this morning that comes from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, it shows us what the kingdom of God is actually like. So let's listen this morning to these words from the Gospel of Matthew. He writes, Immediately Jesus told his followers to get into the boat and to go ahead of him across the lake. He stayed there to send people home. After he had sent them away, he went by himself up into the hills to pray. It was late and Jesus was there alone. By this time, the boat was already far away from land. It was being hit by waves because the wind was blowing against it. Between three and six o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, walking on the water. When his followers saw him walking on the water, they were afraid. They said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus quickly spoke to them, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it is really you, then command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. And Peter left the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind and the waves, he became afraid and began to sink. He shouted, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. Jesus said, Your faith is small. Why did you doubt? After they got into the boat, the wind became calm. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, Truly you are the Son of God. Okay, I know what you might be thinking right now. For the first ten minutes or so of this particular sermon, this particular preacher has been talking all about kingdoms. I mean, I've talked about the kingdom of Camelot, and I've critiqued the kingdom that we're living in in America right now, and I've even brought up the kingdom of God. And then I told you that our scripture for today talks about the kingdom of God, but the passage that we just read, it didn't say anything about the kingdom of God. This story was the story of Jesus walking on water. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And you know what? For a long time, I would have agreed with you completely. After all, this story is clearly a story that shows us the power that God has over nature. I mean, I have never heard of anyone else who's been able to walk on top of water. And it's also a story that clearly teaches us about our faith. 
I mean, is there anybody listening to this sermon right now who hasn't heard a pastor or a Sunday school teacher challenge them to get out of their proverbial boats to follow Jesus? But if there's one thing, one thing that this passage clearly doesn't talk about, it's the kingdom of God, right? Wrong. I mean, let's forget about the parts of the story that we know so well and go back to the beginning of this passage. And I do mean the beginning. What's the first word that we write in this passage? It's immediately. And the word immediately tells us that the passage we just read is happening right after something else, which means that this story is not a standalone story. So to better understand the passage we just read, we need to know what came before it. And if you were to grab your Bible and to flip over to Matthew chapter 14, you'd see that the story that comes right before this one is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But even though that is another incredible miracle story that I've preached on a handful of times over my 13 years in ministry, it's still not a story about the kingdom of God. So where on earth can I come up with the idea that the story of Jesus walking on the water has something to do with the kingdom of God? Well, we need to go back a little bit further in the Gospel of Matthew to see it. So if you were to go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 14, you'd find that there's a story there about Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And in this story, John the Baptist is executed by King Herod, the ruler over Galilee at the time. And when Matthew's Gospel tells us the story of John the Baptist's execution, it gives us a glimpse of what the kingdom of Rome was like. Rome was a place where rulers ruled with an iron fist. Rome was a place where anyone was expendable as long as it kept the current kings and governors in place. Rome was a place where justice was almost never served. And Rome was a place where wealth and privilege were the true rulers. But after giving us a glimpse of what the kingdom of Rome was like at the beginning of chapter 14, Matthew then flips the whole script on us. Matthew goes from showing us what the kingdom of Rome was like to showing us what the kingdom of God is like. So through the story of the feeding of the 5,000, we see that the kingdom of God isn't just a place. It's a place where everyone has plenty to eat, regardless of their wealth or their poverty. And the kingdom of God, we see it's a generous place where God gives freely and only asks that we do the same. And then today's story begins. And immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus sends his disciples and the crowds away. Then Jesus goes off by himself to pray. And let's just be honest here. Jesus needed that time away. I mean, put yourself into his proverbial shoes for just a second. Over the course of a day or so, Jesus has learned that his cousin was executed by the Roman Empire. And then, Jesus went out and he performed one of the greatest miracles that we have ever heard of. So Jesus, he deserves some time away on that mountaintop. And his disciples, they just needed to be able to take care of themselves for a little while while he was away. But then something unexpected happens in the story. A storm begins striking the sea right where the disciples were sailing. And Matthew tells us that the waves were crashing against the boat because of the strong winds. So with a raging storm surrounding them, it seems clear that the disciples needed help. Or at the very least, they needed the comfort of knowing that Jesus, their God and their friend, was with them. 
But Jesus, he had just been through a long, physically and emotionally draining day. So it would have been easy for Jesus to return his focus to his prayers and away from his disciples. And it would have been easy for Jesus to look at the boat being tossed far out there, far from the shore, and say it was too far for him to be able to help. And it would have been easy for Jesus to look at his disciples and to see that they were experienced fishermen who knew how to handle themselves if they were caught up in a storm at sea. And it would have been easy for Jesus to just be selfish. It would have been easy for Jesus to be selfish. The truth is, if God's kingdom is like the kingdoms in our world today, then that's exactly what Jesus would have done. We would have expected that Jesus would come up with excuse after excuse that made the problems that the disciples were facing everyone else's fault and problem but his. We would have expected that Jesus would do a lot of the political posturing and grandstanding that we see these times, and then he would make some long-winded speech about their problem without doing anything that could actually help the disciples. And we would have expected Jesus to turn a deaf ear to the disciples until their cries for help could no longer be ignored, because that's what our political leaders seem to do today. But in Jesus, in Jesus we get the opposite. Jesus doesn't make an excuse for why he can't go. He just goes. And Jesus doesn't blame the disciples' problems on the storm or where they chose to sail or the time of night that they were out on the sea. Jesus just goes to help them. And Jesus doesn't even sit back and wait for the disciples to cry out when their boat is slowly taking on water and starting to sink. Jesus goes to them without the disciples asking for help at all. And his disciples can't believe it. Because no king in all of the world would walk away from what they were doing to help a bunch of helpless fishermen in a boat. No ruler in the world would be disturbed in the wee hours of the morning to deal with the insignificant troubles of 12 unimportant guys. No leader in the world would care. As a matter of fact, what Jesus does in this story is so unexpected that the disciples actually think it could have only be a ghost walking out to help them because they know that no one else would come to their aid. But it wasn't a ghost. It's a different kind of king from a different kind of kingdom. Jesus is a different kind of king from a different kind of kingdom. In the kingdom of God, it's not a kingdom of excuses. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of action. And the kingdom of God is not a kingdom that offers justice only to the rich. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that extends grace and mercy to us all. The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of selfishness. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of self-sacrifice. And that's what makes this story so great. Jesus is not the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, because he walks on water in the story. And Jesus isn't the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, because he calms down the storm on the sea. And Jesus isn't the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, because of, what, of those things in the story. Jesus is the Messiah because when people needed him, he was there for them without them having to say a thing. Now, I don't know about you, but after months of political campaigning in our country, I'm awfully tired of the kingdom of selfishness that we live in today. I'm awfully tired of our leaders who only care about themselves and not about the people that actually elect them. 
And I'm awfully tired of people who think that our only hope comes from the political parties and candidates that we support. So I'm ready. I'm ready for a different kind of kingdom. I'm ready for the kingdom of God to come. But that doesn't mean that my eyes are fixed upon the heavens. That doesn't mean that I'm just going to sit back and wait for my eternal reward to come in. Because Jesus showed us in this story that his kingdom has already come to earth. So we, as followers of Jesus, we can't just wait for God's kingdom to come. We have to work to build it together. We have to work to build the kingdom of God together. And what does that mean? Well, it means that we can't keep acting like the rulers of the world around us. We have to set aside our selfish desires, and we have to work to help people who are hurting right now. And it means that we have to be willing to take care of others before we even take care of ourselves. It means that we have to put Jesus first instead of putting ourselves first. So if you're tired of the way politics plays out in our world, there is an alternative. You don't have to be a part of the red or the blue. You can be a part of the kingdom of God. But to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to be willing to put yourself last and to get to work building God's kingdom today. So that's what we really need to do. We need to set aside the red and the blue. We need to set aside the Republicans and the Democrats. We need to set all of that aside and focus in on the kingdom of God. Because as followers of Jesus, that's our real kingdom. Jesus is our real king. Not a presidential candidate whose name shows up on a ballot. So we need to follow God. We need to build his kingdom. We need to put ourselves, our wants, our needs on the back burner and focus in on what we can do to help share God's love, his hope, his mercy, his grace with the world around us right now. We need to set aside the politics that so easily divides our nation and focus in on what politics is really about, relating to each other and taking care of each other. Because we know we know right now that there are people all around us who are hurting. People that are suffering physically, emotionally, financially. We know that there are people that need the good news of Jesus more than they need the good news and promises of some political party. We need to be the ones that show them where true hope, true peace, true joy and grace and love come from. And it's not the red, it's not the blue. It's the kingdom of God. So let's stop worrying about the red and the blue, and let's work together to build God's kingdom today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reminder that we have heard today, that we, as your followers, we are kingdom, we are part of your kingdom, God. For us, it shouldn't be about the red and the blue, the Democrats and the Republicans. It shouldn't be about the upcoming election or anything else. It should be about your kingdom and what we can do to help your kingdom be fulfilled on this earth. So God, challenge everyone that can hear my voice right now to set aside our political leanings and our partisan politics and focus in on the things that we can do to share your good news with the world around us, the things that we can do to bring help to those who are hurting. Remind us of where our citizenship truly lies, 
that we are in this world, but not of this world, and that we should be working together to build your kingdom. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you what kingdom you are really a part of and what kingdom we need to be working to build. And that's not the kingdom of the Democrats or the Republicans. That is the kingdom of God. So this week, election week, let's do what we can to build God's kingdom together. Now, next week, we're going to be finishing up this series called The Red and the Blue, where we've been talking about what it means for us to be followers of Jesus in the face of partisan politics today. And, you know, next Sunday, there are going to be about half of all Americans who are really excited that the candidate that they supported has won the election. And the other half are going to be pretty disappointed that their candidate didn't. But here's the thing. No matter which candidate wins this week, what we need to remember is that the work of building a more perfect union is not done. So next week, we're going to be talking about what it takes for us to build that more perfect union. So we hope that you'll come back and join us next Sunday at noon when that episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. I also want to remind you that you can join us live online for worship any Sunday that you have the chance. We worship at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time at mhbclouisville.com slash live. So until next week, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and I'll be praying for our country throughout this election week. And we'll see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.